Lynx Journal readers, I'm Katherine Druckmann. This time we did things a little bit differently. This podcast episode is a conversation between Doc Searles, our editor-in-chief, and four of the people featured in this month's Deep Dive in Linux Journal. The title of that is The Kids Take Over, and you can find it at linuxjournal.com. And the kids really are doing that if the people Doc talk to have their way. The voices you'll hear, in addition to Doc, are three members of the Lafredo family and Dr. Michael Nagler, superintendent of the Mineola Public School System in Mineola, Long Island. The Lafredo family operates Kid Oyo, a nonprofit that teaches kids to code and much more, including the importance of knowing and using Linux. The Lafredos are Zen, age 14, and his parents, Devin and Melora. If you have headphones and want to sort them out, Doc and Zen are roughly on the left, Devin and Melora are on the right, and Dr. Nagler is around the middle somewhere. The conversation took place in the coding center. Yes, they have one of those, at a middle school in Mineola, right after a competitive hackathon involving more than a dozen Long Island schools working with Kid Oyo. What they're doing is truly exciting, and it's a real privilege to see the radically good work they're all doing, so let's listen in. So so this is the first for you guys, doing doing one here. You've done these before. Yep. So, so, so go over for me what, what this hackathon was for our our listeners, especially considering most, not all of them, but most of them are coming from the Linux world. Yeah. So at, you know, when you go to our website, it says right on there, creative computing. So this is all about trying to bring creative computing to the front. These kids have been learning different languages in project work, solving challenges, you know, that are specific to the language, but are very defined and very, very narrow banded. Mm -hmm. And so when you step outside of that world and we want to see, can you apply the knowledge you're learning? It becomes about well, how do you do that? And these, yeah. This this style of an event is really about can we get you creating and broaden out what the scope we're asking for you is, and then see how that works. So, so let me step back a bit. So for the background on where what Kid Oyo is about, and and that learning approach where you have challenges. You know what what is the what is in the briefest possible way if you can say it the pedagogy here. Yeah, we provide courses mm -hmm. with different learning kind of subjects mm -hmm. contained inside each one. Uh -huh. They then are presented with with challenges that come off of those uh -huh. courses. We treat those courses as the documentation. Uh -huh. And if they need to reference skill sets or capabilities to apply to a challenge, they can go back and look at the challenges. And then we document their skills from those challenges in a micro-credential or a badge yeah. that hangs in their portfolio. Okay. So the kids are learning this. And, and it's not just coding specific here at Mineola. It's being integrated into the curriculum. Which mm -hmm. Dr. Miller can speak to, but you know we're trying to bring it into social studies, English, science, math, and so it so, becomes glue. Yeah, if we from the education perspective, the challenge is the assessment, and the knowledge or content is in the course. Yeah. So it's a demonstration of what you learned and how you do it. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, on the background side, if you're the uh, Lafredo family, <laughs> right? It seems to me this is like this began as a family operation and just got bigger from there. Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean, in the absolutely. true sense, what you're seeing here, even with Dr. Nagler, he came yeah. to our first event as a dad. Yeah. So, like, okay. he sat there with his own son learning Java at seven. Is he yeah. James was seven. Yeah. So, you have a seven year old who is aggressively trying to soak in how to program in Java, and he's got his little fingers trudging away and trying to reach for that semicolon with his pinky, and it's painful to watch, right? <laughs> but they're, they are diligently going after that objective. And so, you know, he came up at the end of the event and asked, what schools are you working with? And I gave him the, the honest answer, no one will talk to us, and I didn't know who he was and, you know, or who I was talking to. somebody was talking to you. Yeah, exactly. But he was a dad, and, yeah. you know, it was kind of that's the, the – kind of the background of really how this has all grown is yeah. it's not in schools. It didn't matter whether you were a poor school with disadvantaged kids or wealthy school, you know, didn't really matter at all. Nobody had access to this stuff. So yeah. we gave the opportunity for everyone to just show up. We'll teach you with the mentor talent we have. Sometimes that goes great. Sometimes it doesn't go great. We learn, reformat it, keep going forward. Um, but, you know. An interesting thing to me is that, and this is not a knock on the, on the, uh, the fancy schools, but it's interesting to me that this came out of a family and not like Bronx science. Yeah, well, you know? I mean, part of it was, it's funny because I was a toy developer for so long and, and I really focused a lot on young kids' product and simple soft play, text, text, um, text 
Textury. I can't think of the text textury. Oh, textiles. textiles. <laughs> no, <okay>. not textiles. <laughs> I can't think of it. Texture textiles. Play. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I'll, it'll come to me. But um, you know, then you have a kid, and all of a sudden they're looking straight at the screen, and everything digital and blinky and bright becomes enticing, and we have to pivot and turn towards how are we going to teach him to be part of this from a maker side of it rather than a consumer side so he really drove us to try to fill a gap because when we went out and looked we found nothing nothing. we found nothing so we had really we had to make the choice that if we wanted to give it to him we were going to have to buckle down and learn it ourselves first okay so so you've been doing this with your own camps and your own schools your own your own organization uh but this is the first time we've done it in a school. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't just at a school. This is the host school for, were there 15 schools? How many? How many we had 10, 10 districts here 10 today. 10 districts here today. Yeah. And yeah. Mineola played a key role in this whole thing happening because uh, Matt Gavin, who is, I guess, by title, I don't know how many he's wearing right now, but he, he runs the assistant superintendent. Yeah. I know that they had... Know, was that an ed camp that was here, and they were floating ideas amongst yeah. various people? And Dr. Nagler had been pushing for this. I think internally it was a subject of the board that was happening. You could probably speak well, to yeah, that. Well, the board president said she wanted a hackathon, so it's really that simple. Exactly. Yeah. You don't hear that said often. No. <laughs> the board president wanted a hackathon. Well, there's nothing typical about Mineola. I mean, yeah. honestly, from the way except if you're looking board. at it flying out of JFK, then it looks typical. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah, but exactly. we're driving through yes. on the LAE. But other than that. Yeah, it's literally not. nothing. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, we, we we enjoy pushing the boundaries here. Um, but more importantly, it, it goes to the whole notion of open source mm-hmm. and sharing. Yeah. In public schools, we don't share enough. So, and, and I mean that for everything, for content, for resources, for ideas we don't typically share. It's almost the opposite. We're, we're set up as competitors against each other Mm -hmm. because of all the rankings yeah so when something as important as computer science and computational thinking you have a great product um if i didn't share it i couldn't live with myself Mm -hmm. and when we finally flushed it out here where we had it working and scalable and all the ideas kind of came together um, it, I was on a crusade to get everyone else to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's the importance I see. Um, I, I think it's a national emergency that we don't teach computer science scale across this country. So looking at what I saw here today, it, it looks to me, I mean, I, I'll go back a little farther in the sense that we've only been digital in the current form, which is to say with the internet we have now since 1995, actually April 30th of 1995 was a significant day because that was the day that the internet could be forbid no kind of content. There had been an acceptable use policy for one of the backbones that went down and all of a sudden everything could explode. But that's only 25 years ago, 26 years ago. Right? So it seems to me this is the beginning. This is the beginning. I mean, it's, so if you take that that premise that it's a shame that computer science isn't taught nationally in schools. Um, it's got to start somewhere. Oh yeah, I think it's here. I mean, it yeah. looks to me like this is you're, you're prototyping forward here something that could go national. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, but I think what is fundamentally important about here <clears throat> is that without the relationship, and you know, I, th- I think the thing I didn't know about Dr. Nagler when we first met was, you know, you think superintendent, bureaucracy, I'm going to, you know, what are we going to deal with here? This is not a superintendent that fits into a mold. Mm-hmm. So he understands creation. He understands creativity. He's doing it himself. Yeah. And so when it came time <clears throat> to figure out, all right, I know how to teach in my formatted program yeah. direct to that kid. How do I fit it into a 42-minute class period? And how much space are you going to give me to fail? Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to succeed the first time I create a, a curriculum that, that I don't know how to do to a 42-minute period. Yeah. And he gave us the space that first year. He gave us, you know, let's get in there. Let's do it. Let's see what teachers does this blow away. What do we need to do on the professional development side? The students, are we, are we sequencing this the right way? Are we starting in the right grade levels? You know, none of those were knowns. And yet, you know, I think from the standpoint as, a, as just a creative developer, 
you mm-hmm. start to realize you need to just get it, get something on that canvas, yeah. and then we can edit it. We can we can make changes. And so you know, I think your statement of you know we bleed over here and we make mistakes that matched up. We we found a partner where the relationship was the foundation to allow us to grow something that then. He was fundamental, giving me honest feedback that I could then take back in, make changes to how we were teaching, how we were writing our code, how we were building our apps, bring it back in, let's deploy it again. And that's where year four, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the cutting edge and the bleeding edge, there's a, there's a fine line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of times you have to bleed to, to fail forward. Um, but it, 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 what, what are some of the bleedings? And what are the well, I, I think when you deal with a traditional school system and teacher mindset and union contracts and what I have to do, what I don't have to do, you can throw your hands up and say, I, I just can't do it. Or you can have patience and work through the maze of all the roadblocks you're going to have to get to a point where every student sees it. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to do pilots because mm-hmm. you only have to find one teacher that raises their hand and you can say you're doing it, in this case computer science. If you have one teacher doing it, you can say it's scaled, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Until mm-hmm. you can honestly say that every child is touching the initiative, you're not at scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what our focus was um, when we first sat down to say, okay, how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. I, I want every kid to do it. And that causes problems. That's mm-hmm. uh, not so easy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if, if anything, I'm persistent. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and my people, I should say I, because it's terrible to take credit for it, because I have a great team here. Yeah. And they get the vision and we work collectively to make it happen. So how did you promulgate or evangelize it inside the organization? Because you're the first, it sounds like. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is for people to understand why it's important. Yeah. So the we spend a lot of time on the background of you know, we're not in the Industrial Revolution anymore. We're, we're beginning a fourth revolution, mm-hmm. if you will, on computing and big data and how um, we're going to transition to machines taking over different types of work. Mm-hmm. And how do you find your way in that? What are the jobs mm-hmm. that are going to be lost? What are the jobs that are going to be new? What are the jobs going to be modified? And what's the common denominator of all of that? Mm-hmm. Is 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 coding? Yeah, and what are the new kinds of work, and how does yeah. that? Because work never goes away; it just moves to other places and other skills. And yeah, I mean, there, there's some people that want to promote this panic about the machines taking over, yeah. but I think yeah. if you look at history, and I'm a history, yeah. well, I'm a history teacher, so I look at it a lot. <laughs> it's really every revolution, the same thing happened. Yeah, from you know the Luddites. Smashing uh, yeah, the loom right, to uh, right. it's not going to take my job. To you know, here we are, things are changing. Are yeah. we going to stick our head in the sand or are we going to figure out what to do? Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder even if there are jobs. I mean, the, the job it seems to me is a is an industrial age invention. You know, yeah. it's always been interesting to me. Speaking of history, that you know, our our surnames, most of them anyway, carry. The fossil remnants of what some ancestor did. Your name is Smith or Cooper or, or Baker or something. You know that's what some ancestor mm-hmm. did. And Nagler translates to one who nails. One who nails. Searles <laughs> <So, laughs> nice. my, my translates to carrying a shield, soldier, basically. Yeah, just a, you know, uh, and but that's, that's but but what, what what we do now? I mean, that was when it, when it was all craft, right? And because nobody named their kid, you know, Joe Sheet Metal Worker, right? But <laughs> but. But we had jobs. Even the notion of a job. I mean, it, one of the things that's been interesting to me about Linux is that most of these people are self-taught. Most of them are are recognized. You know, that most of most of the people writing or maintaining the alpha code maintainers within the Linux uh, code base, the ones that admit the code into the into the kernel, 
they're working for IBM and Red Hat and Oracle and other companies. But what's happened in those companies is they've said, he or she is too good at doing what they're doing. I, I, there's no job they have here. I'm just paying right. them for doing what that is because that makes the world. And I think there's more of that that's going to happen where these kids are going to make their world in some way. I, mean, I think the whole notion of a gig economy is really um, what lends itself more to a gig economy than CS skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, you'll always find work. Yeah, yeah. So, so Zen, how have you grown or changed through the course of this thing? It's like it's been your whole life, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of my interest of coding came from Minecraft and from a lot of actual people's interest in coding. And that's kind of what started more game development in Kidoyo was kids wanting, seeing Minecraft, seeing make people make these mods and wanting to make their own mods. Yeah. Uh, I was one of the kids who wanted to do that. I think the first time I was really introduced to coding was when we still lived down in Virginia, I was taken to a class where I learned, I think it was Macromedia Fusion, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, I originally created a game called Triangle Man. It was the adventures of Triangle Man. Uh -huh. It was a pretty poorly made game, but I was able to get my first... I, I liked I liked that class You had the satisfaction of creating something. Yeah, I was yeah. able to create a full game from start to finish, of course, with a lot of help from yeah. the uh, original you know, mentor, teacher uh -huh. in that scenario. But it's what really introduced me to coding. So I think... How coding has really changed my life is that as we've started to head into the 21st century, how jobs are starting to change, we can already see that some companies are even going as far. Even Japan is replacing bank tellers with robots, mm -hmm. and how it's a world where it's either going to be code or be coded. Hmm. Well, that's good. So Zen, that's another slogan <laughs> on your T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> code or be coded. <laughs> that's powerful. Wow. Um, so, so in in the hackathon here, just so for for listeners, you had you had these ten districts with a bunch of kids from each district uh, that were competing um, in in a set of challenges again, right, competitively, which you sent in part designed or yeah. completely designed or yeah, like, I, I was the first one to create like the first design we did it originally we just drew uh, all the territories up on a board and that's where we first came up with the idea of the poker chip you give a poker chip and that was what really symbolized your control over the territory right uh, now it's kind of you if you earn a territory you get it at the end as a prize but originally it was just to simplify what territory you it, owned. you just got to place your army on that on that yeah thing, yeah yeah on that thing. um okay, and right. then we we had a version before created by a, another mentor so this is this edition was to try to incorporate it more into our OEO class so that, you know, we could have schools use it and create something like this. We wouldn't have been able to create this without what Mike made. Yeah, okay, okay. And Mike Mike is one of the mentors. Yeah, he's one of my full-time developers. He's one of your full-time developers, yep. yeah. And um, now it was interesting to me being in the mentor's room. So you had, the, you had 10 tables with 10 sets of kids all competing. And then in another room, in a kind of a command center, where all the mentors who were assigned to different territories within this island, right, the, the sectors. Um, and they're all judging uh, attackers or defenders. You know, the first attacker acquires the land, but then they have to defend it if somebody else wants to attack it. And that happened right up to the last minute when Sayasa yeah. beat somebody else. Um, but watching the mentors in, in your room, okay, most of them are students at Stony Brook yeah. University, okay. Um, were you the youngest mentor in the room? Yes. Yeah, okay. So it struck me as like, you were the alpha in the room, which is also sort of interesting. I think you and Mike, but and maybe Doug, too, were, were sort of the ones that stepped up. And it, it's just sort of interesting to me watching the, the teamwork, because it was all very supportive. I mean, nobody was like competing in the mentor room. In the mentor room, it was all very collaborative. You know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of an endless discussion about, is this better than that? What's... You know, is this being creative? Is this one following the rules? Is this one violating the rules or forgetting the rules or some other thing like that? Giving them feedback so they're not so they're not punished, but they're just corrected, you know, or informed, and they can take it as correction if they want. Um, that's I, I mean that that strikes me as a, a truly interesting system because again, I mean it's it, an, an interesting thing to me is like, and school's always been about competition to some degree, right? You know, but. 
But once you get out, you're not competing anymore. You know, that's in, and we have a senior in college, and he's busy competing right now, and he gets out, it's going to be, you know, yeah. now what, right? And a very big now what, right? So, I mean, when you're looking at your contemporaries in many ways who are already in college, how, how, do you, how do you process that? How do you look at your own path forward? Do you say, I'm just taking one step, I don't know what the hell it is right now? Or, or do you say, okay, I can see, I'm not going to do that, I will do that. I mean, we'll see because I've already taken the uh, AP CSA, so yeah. I've been told by Stony Brook that I would pass 101. I'd be like, I think it was like 230 or something like that. <laughs> um, so I don't know. By the time that I'd be ready to go into college, I don't know if I'd even want to wow. at that point. Yeah. So I said that to my wife the other day about my son. She couldn't process that. <laughs> <laughs> she could not process the idea of not going, him not going to college. So it's going it's to... It's a really interesting question what college is for. I mean, right. is it, it, especially, I mean, we've had, for a long time I've had this notion that college is sort of like, now you're going to vocational school, you know. Um, but maybe it's not, you know. I mean, uh, I, we almost have to rethink the whole thing, I think. Uh, and that's that's a hard thing to do because it's, that's... A a non you know a nonprofit institution like that and a state institution either nonprofit and state or just state or religious those are sort of the other varieties they're very high bound by by nature and by design you know and they're busy getting money from their alumni and their alumni have nothing to do with this don't understand this at all um, but the content was traditional so when you start. The content starts outpacing the knowledge of the professors. Yeah. Then what's the point? Yeah. So in Zen's case, he's going to walk in with a, a better knowledge than a lot of the people teaching him mm -hmm. in this topic. I'm not, yeah. I'm not giving you credit for every topic. <laughs> in this topic, certainly. So yeah. you, why be there? Yeah. If that's what you want to do. Correct. Yeah. And do, do you think it's entirely possible you're going to get, like, to college, they, you know, I've already done all this computer stuff. I'm going to do something it, else now. It's totally possible because, like, from what I've seen in uh, computer science, they don't really teach you how to code rather than the methods to teach yourself because it's not really – they're not teaching you programming. It's not called programming. It's computer science. It's the science of yeah. how computers work. So from what I've seen, it's like, you know, learning search algorithms that can yeah. scan large amounts of data, which – it might still be useful for me once I get to that point, but I don't know. It it really all depends. Yeah, it's a long way away. Not so much. <laughs> It'll it's move interesting. Fast. The, ch the chairman of the CS department, Stonerbrook, said that computer science is the enabling science, right? So what you really ideally want to see is computer science in everything else as the foundation, because everything else should be utilizing what computer science delivers as the foundation upon which to do the humanities. And you know, we're not trying to necessarily get rid of any books just because yeah. there's computers, right? There's still value there. And, you know, apply it to the medical world and biology, and it becomes this new mm -hmm. thing. And with machine learning, you know, you're stepping into a domain that, you know, it's, there's still so many unknowns about how that's going to be useful and where we're going to see its application value come out and whether it replaces labor or augments labor. You know, I think there's that war in the medical world right now. Just does it replace the surgeon or does the surgeon have a, have a genius on his shoulder or her shoulder sitting there giving advice, you know, that maybe wasn't present in the past. So I think there's so much to learn, but I think for the universities that are really pushing for the Carnegie Mellons, the MITs, the Stanfords, right? They, they are seeing MIT applied everywhere. And they're even, M MIT just launched a billion dollar I know. compute yeah. facility I, I to support it. And they've got 40% of their undergrad study in CS there. Yeah. Most campuses, you can't even get into the college because they've already breached the boundary of what they can teach. So, I think it's interesting that the, the application of the knowledge is critical in in education period yeah so like the hackathon is this really fun cool way to apply all of this discrete knowledge that you learned into a reality is a yeah. task we gave you who champions that task best is going to win that little territory yeah very um, very much like the risk 
You know, yep. We're going to we're going to advance our armies and and touch and tackle and and win. Um, we don't do that in school. Yeah. You know, when we talk about a application of knowledge, we talk about like a standardized test. We don't talk about creating something that is unique based on what we just taught you. Yeah. Yeah. So when I look at the power of Kid Oyo, that's what I see. I see this. How am I going to get more creation in the content areas? Because they'll take care of the computer science stuff. Now I want to leverage the platform for everything else. Yeah, yeah. And it's like competency-based ed meets micro-credentials meets engagement Mm -hmm. in learning. Yeah. Um, So I see it as this much broader um, solution to kids, engaging kids. Because yeah. this millennial generation, they're learning and engaged in a whole different way mm-hmm. than our generation was. So yeah. you either ignore it or you try to meet it. So scaling this thing up in some way, which is inevitable, I think. Right? So some board chairman or some principal or some superintendent in... Greensboro or Reno or Billings gets in touch with this. What a clone this thing. What do you say? How do you do that? You... Yeah. Clone this thing as in what's happening right here? Yeah. I, I, I heard about that, you know, I, I listened to your podcast or read the thing. Yeah. We want to do that. Yeah. yeah. So our infrastructure is already there to support so that. So they, they can take your infrastructure mm-hmm. and, and do it. In other words, they, would they, just so people know how your infrastructure works. They pay you for it? Do you? Yep. Okay. They do. And not only that, but, you know, oftentimes it's, hey, Dr. Nagler, can I send someone your way? So he is gracious enough to let schools come in here okay. and see and explore, you know, go down to the K2 building. Go, let's go see the middle school. Let's go to the high school. He's got a whole progression, obviously, in line. And so I think there's a lot of influence that it's better for them to hear from their peers. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes me telling them what they should be doing. Yeah, yeah, we run into the typical human dynamic yeah. of ego telling egos things, right? It's uh, whatever. But when Dr. Nagler speaks about it, he's coming from a world of practical experience, and he knows all the obstacles he's dealing with to, to even get this in his curriculum. So let them come here and talk to the, to him. So, but when you say say your infrastructure, um, that's what exactly? So it's it's the. So how does it work? So, you know, what we are is all of the creative tools that you need from an applied learning. So apps in all the languages, we've got 21 various apps right now from a hackathon app to a Python app, C++, C Sharp. So we're, we're teaching with applied learning apps where the data of what the kids are creating is always there. It's never stuck in our platform. They can download their entire website as a zipped file, take it to another host whenever they want to. It's always under their control to the teachers being able to and all of our mentors being able to create course content, challenge content, create and design badges and micro-credentials, align that in learning pathways where you're sequencing all of those content mm-hmm. components together to assemble into a mastery badge so that it all matriculates forward and we can see, here's here's the micro-skills that you learned through your learning process, and here's what the final result assembles as. What are, what yeah. are we trying to say that you should know? So from our standpoint, I might want to say, I'm going to certify you as a level one Python mentor. Mm-hmm. or a level one Python student or teacher, or whatever it might be, and there's a series of, let's say, 30 skills that I, I need you to master. So you're going you're gonna to earn micro-credentials the entire time, mm-hmm. and they're all going to assemble in a pathway where we deliver to you a mastery badge. Here at Mineola, you know, it might be a third-grade mastery badge. Yeah. So they've got an entire progression that's taking them through third grade, and there's micro-skills in the same sense. It might not involve coding. Mm-hmm. Right? It could be just content designed for their curriculum, but it all matriculates forward, and then there's this mastery badge that represents the whole context of what they've learned and then one of the i think one of the things that is really supportive for the school structure is this mentor concept because the mentors are actually virtually in the the communities and Mm -hmm. so you know this is the same problem we reached when when dr naylor wanted us to come in and we wanted to get to every student we realized very quickly well we don't have every teacher here to support us so Mm -hmm. how are we going to 
support those teachers who really don't feel like they have the skills yet and they don't feel comfortable with it. So as the students are approaching their work, they can approach it at any pace, at any level, and every piece of work that they submit comes first into our mentor team. And these are, they're trained not only from their CS students and engineering students, they're also trained, we train them actually how to program in all these various languages, and then they're trained on how to give feedback to mm-hmm. young people. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that is, believe it or not, that's where they trip up the most. Mm-hmm. So as we're going through these feedback challenges with them and trying to teach them how to mentor others, because there's a fine line between giving somebody the answer and doing it for them and leading them yeah. to discover the answer. Yeah. So those mentors are there to support, you know, and we had them in the beginning. So as you're trying to get your staff up and trained, you, the kids aren't slowed down. We're, we always like to say that our platform is learning at the pace of the kid. Yeah. Where yeah. some platforms are designed to cater to the teacher's comfortability and make it more comfortable for them to offer in the class. But quickly that goes haywire because you've got, you could have a classroom of sixth graders and one kid's never touched programming at all. And one has already passed AP computer science A. How do you teach all of those kids when you have one teacher? And it's the same problem of teaching period, not only um, coding or computer science. I think the practical problems from the education side is you can't hire a computer science teacher mm-hmm. good luck yeah because they're all making a lot more money doing something else yeah yeah so okay you get lucky hiring one how do you scale that one to your entire district yeah so there has to be some virtual component of experts that can help can help the teacher can help the student but there's a knowledge base somewhere. And who's the mentors? Yeah. yeah. And, and they're in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, today was the first time I saw half of them. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. But I knew they existed, but I put a face to them. Yeah. So now they're floating in the cloud as your experts in the teacher you can't find. Yeah. Yeah. Then the platform gives you all the content. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go worry about how, I'm gonna, how am I going to tie this skill to this classroom assignment. Mm-hmm. That's built in. Mm-hmm. How do I, how am I going to do Java and Python? Built in. Yeah, they got little sandboxes all in one platform. I remember the when I went with James the first time and I had to download Java Beans or something like that. I'm like, what the heck is this? <laughs> so the platform has evolved to. I go. It's one stop shopping. I go there. I can do any language. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go there, all the content is there for me, and now the iteration of the learning path, which now I have a way to do mastery badges, which is really competency-based education in edu-speak. Mm-hmm. How do you let kids get to their pace at their uh, time and then move on to something else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I find it uh, refreshing and scary that my ninth grade AP computer principals students are doing the same exact pathway that my sixth grade students are doing. Mm-hmm. So that hatch one and hatch two um, in the platform as a learning path, both ages are able to do it. Yeah. And obviously when the sixth graders get to ninth grade, um, I don't have to worry because I have kiddo. You know, they're going to figure out what they're going to do next. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll say, too, follow up on the piece that you did. Um, he's going to have to move really fast because the first and second graders just started that hatch level learning right. path last week. Yeah. And they're doing it. And Hatch being? Hatch is the scratch programming language, and we mm-hmm. built an app that allows us to switch between open and, and closed source. App. Yeah, it's ours. Okay, just so I, I want to make that clear. For yeah. yeah. And, well, one of, the, one of the challenges we had with using the Scratch website was, one, you know, a lot of schools are very concerned with their, where their students are and being in this big space where there's 40 million other people that mm-hmm. we're not really sure who they are. Yeah. Um, and then also... Um, because Scratch really wants to be an open repository and really work with that, that's fantastic for the learner. For the assessor, it's very challenging because mm. if the code is always open, there's no way for me to know if the student just took that from someplace else. Did yeah, they drag right, it into right. the backpack and drag it out? So what we just did was we gave the students the opportunity to close their source code if they want their product project um, to be 
looked at for a badge. So if they want it to count and to be assessed, it needs to be closed source. We can look at it. They can open it up at some other time, but Mm -hmm. it gives us, you know, the ability to give them that really powerful programming language that Scratch is. I mean, every beginner that we've ever brought through a coding program, we've brought brought through the Scratch door. Yeah. So so it's only, uh, just to be clear, it's only closed voluntarily for a brief time. So the Student for evaluation, can, can get evaluated yeah, without the rest of the world being. Involved. Well, and they're authentically in all of their projects. They authentically have to confront the decision: is my project open source, and other people can copy it, fork it, mm-hmm. do whatever they want, improve upon it, or is it closed source, and I'm prohibiting other people from mm-hmm. doing that? And it's in our course content. We're describing what is open source, what's the manifestation of open source, where are the greatest examples of open source pointing at mm-hmm. Linux, pointing at Red Hat, you know, showing examples of that. And then closed source, what's the manifestation of that? So it is no secret. In our program at Kidoya, kids show up, and up until recently, if you mentioned Microsoft in the room, the kids were immediately, boo, right? Because <laughs> yeah. they were right there with, you know, all of the early developers and the browser wars and, you know, that, yeah. that whole philosophy matriculated forward into 12-year-olds. And- please pardon the interruption. Will Amy Bonet please come to the main office? Thank you. So reality is there it is. That's right. So so they're part of that process and yeah. part of the decision making. And what we try to have an honest discussion with them is, you know, all right. So now you've stepped into a world you want to collaborate with your peers. Yeah. Right. So what is copyright? What is copyleft? Right. And where does that affect the choices you make about a teamwork? Who owns this project that we just made? They love the collaboration, but when it comes out to publish it and you want to give credit to all your people, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, you're 10 years old and you're confronting these things. That's not something that 10 year olds have ever had the power to, to confront. And it's innately important for them because then when they go out of the internet, they're, they're intuitively smarter about how they're participating, what they're looking at, you know, the value of open source code that's so easily and freely given. Mm-hmm. Do we respect it? Do we respect the work that's behind it? Is it treated as just, you know, something that has been welfared to you and you don't have to respect it? What is that? Well, and we is, try to confront that with it. I mean, you're on top of what may be the most fundamental question that needs to get asked, uh, which is, you know, it, how do we keep the goose that lays the golden eggs alive when there's actually money to be made by just selling the goose's meat or whatever i mean it's there's a that's that's an issue right now yeah. and uh and i and i was very, it was very amazing and gratifying to me and i don't know to what extent i was projecting it or not uh in the session you were holding when i was here at the other school but um where here are a bunch of little kids that are learning some stuff together one kid's a little bit behind the others are helping him out and I'm not used to seeing that in kids that small. I, what I'm used to seeing is I win. I win, you lose, you know, you, you suck. I mean, and it, it's, I mean, kids can be very, very competitive. And you're, you do a very good job of, like, taking advantage of that. Like, we saw that today. That was a very competitive environment. Um, but, but they were really sensitive to helping the other kid learn on his own. You know, not like I'm going to do this for you, but have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? Try that. Well, you know, it's it's the power of the mentor. They they see the mentors model that. I think the kids see the mentor as something to aspire towards, and so. We always talk to them. As soon as we come into the classrooms, we're always saying, that this is not going to be like any other subject area you've ever been a part of. Yeah. We want you to get up and help your friend. If, if the person yeah. next to you is struggling and you're doing fine, then take a look at their code and see if you can help them, but not with your fingers on the keyboard. Yeah. Because if you give to them, then you've taken away from them. So you have to like give them answers, not give them the solution. Or that's, give them help, not give them the solution. Well, that's another thing about the mentors, I think, as... Uh, one of the things that uh, John Taylor Gatto that talks about is so upset when I was writing this piece, I found that he actually died last fall because I wanted to drag him over here. But um, it is that the most interesting thing to kids is what the older kids are doing. Yeah. And the most interesting thing, and also the adults. I mean, there are no greater authorities on adults than kids because they have to know about those people. I mean, it's, it's much, they're much more vested in 
in knowing that than they are than are adults knowing each other, right? So, but that's that's part of the path, right? You know, it's like if the mentors are modeling, you know, generous behavior um, as, and, and caring, as well as expertise, not just I'm smarter than other people and I'm doing this, yeah, but that. I'm really helping you out, but I'm helping you help yourself and the rest of that. That's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff. I mean, I would add, we, we've spent a lot of time with the uh, growth mindset an initiative here. Mm -hmm. And I think coding, there's no greater um, demonstration of growth mindset than coding. Mm -hmm. Because... Right. You're constantly you're failing. Growing. You're failing and growing. You're constantly failing and growing toward a, toward a solution. And that's not the only solution. Yeah. So there could be multiple solutions to that problem. But what we teach is you got to keep have at it. Yeah. yeah. And grow your neurons. And, and you can get smarter and better at doing this. Yeah. So I love when my K-1-2 kids are showing that. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't know any better. Mm -hmm. You know, if we get them that young and teach them that young that this is the way you learn, it just helps the whole system move forward. Yeah. Yeah, you know what was really interesting too is I was, when I was in there, I, I went back into that classroom after and we were working on now taking them a little further because they're so anxious to move forward faster. Yeah. And I said, well, in order to learn how to create some of these simple programs, you're going to write scripts. And I said, does anybody know what scripts were? And I'm thinking, I'm amongst first graders. They're likely not going to know. And half the room raises their <laughs> hands. So I'm saying, how do they know what a script is? So I call on one little girl, and she says, we do TED-Ed talks in school, and we practice scripts. And so I know that a script is going to tell me everything that I need to do while I'm up in front of my TED-Ed talk. I was just blown away because I was like, what a great connection to another thing they're doing here and how the kids are able to instantly see that connection and how powerful that is for them to have a first grader instantly oh apply that. So, so I, didn't, I did not know TED Ed existed, but I can guess. This is part of the TED program. You do TED Talks and things. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you that. and I have both given TED Talks. Correct. And we had to, well, they were scripted. And it was yeah. it was quite a challenge for me. I don't know it, what Oh, my God. I, I didn't memorize anything in my <laughs> life. I mean... So that was that was hard. Yes, that was really hard. You did a good one. You Thank you. Really appreciate that. How many did yeah. you just have? Twenty students just give them. Or? Twenty middle school students, and I was blown away. Literally, I, I I'm still the talks are still resonating with me. Wow. About the the topics they chose, the kernels mm. of research they found that were intriguing yeah. to me. The ideas were spreading. Oh, or whatever. yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's the same format in a way as the, you've got 10 minutes, you've got some number of minutes. Uh, depending on the age we write, it's a different yeah. minutes and... Uh, yeah. With the signage, Mineola X, uh, something else. Oh, really? Ted Ed Club, yeah. Yeah, Mineola. with the red yeah. dot on the stage. And yeah, it's awesome. it looks phenomenal. But to, to Melora's point about the coding connection, I think the, the sequencing that you have to do to give yeah. a talk yeah. and memorize it is is what the, is the, are the skills we want to teach? How do you storyboard it? How do you find your research? How do you uh, edit, refine, go back, yeah. and ultimately give the presentation? Yeah, yeah. And the, but the process is the is the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and uh, <coughs> for me, we because we also the journey is a um, reward basically yeah, yeah. It, the kids it, there are setups in in the middle school and the high school out of there as a matter of fact to we also can do animation from scripts so they can write a script and do a full cartoon animation yeah. with their voice uh, oh, wow. to a company called Wonder Media out on out on your coast uh, but the the creator of Wonder Media was uh, the guy who invented the Rugrats oh, oh really huh Terry Thorne so he but the premise is you're writing, you're sequencing, you're storyboarding. It all comes back to the process to get to an end. And I get passionate about it because with my colleagues, I try to explain that's what computer science is. Mm. You know, start point A, get to point B, and write the directions along the way. Mm -hmm. 
and I argue with several, but that's not coding. I said that's the genesis of it. The genesis mm-hmm. of it is this um, progression through a problem mm-hmm. to a point. Yeah. And yeah. focus on that with our young ones as the basis and the foundation for what we want them to do later on. So I, I have a sense, and this may just be because I've paid so much attention to the Linux kernel over the years, or at least I, it's never done. I mean, is there a sense that with these kids that when they've done something that is never, that, you know, you can always debug, you can always do, do more with it. I mean, that's part of life too, right? You yep. know, it's all revision as you go through it. Absolutely. I mean, even with Zen, you know, so we take the APCSA test young with the idea being not so much that we were concerned about the final result as much as this, this was a self-given challenge of how much computer science are you learning while we've been teaching you to code? Because computer yeah. science wasn't our focus. You know, if I go back in my own history as a freshman at college, I walked into my CS program and the professor spent 45 minutes trying to scare everybody out of the room. Yeah. Right. Telling us how hard this was going to be. And I walked down to a club on campus where Benton Surf was talking. And, you know, I just walked up afterward and told him the experience I had just had. He said, well, forget about computer science. Have you heard of web blogging? Right. Writing your own blog online. And the yeah. idea was, you know, the Internet has just come into life. Here's something that's democratizing access to a new form of publishing. Are you touching it? Because yeah. just touching it is empowering. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas over here, we're trying to refine the CS class down to the kids who have the proclivity and who seem to have yeah. the, the, tr- the makeup of what was old school CS. Yeah. And I think that is, it speaks to this idea of whether it's going to be accessible for all, which was a requirement here at Mineola versus, you know, the high minded ideas that sometimes they don't necessarily fit into. You see the snark coming at women. I think are feeling it a lot in the CS world. They don't get the authentic response that they want to feel empowered by when they approach the subject. Or you see it in the gaming communities where there's just yeah. you know, GamerGate and various scandals where it's not always equalized. So when you start to look at how can computing as a field of endeavor, not just research outcomes, but actually you know going down the creative side, touch and empower all aspects of a community. And how do we keep the the vernacular of participation effective for all the different types of people that are going to touch this? We know, like in our platform right now, I don't refine our analytics by gender. Yeah. If I refine my analytics by gender and you want to sort girls are doing this and boys are doing that, immediately you just told me to write an algorithm to separate content by gender. Yeah. So if I write an algorithm that parses your student's by gender, you know, we're hearing these words like algorithmic bias. Right. right? Oh, it, and by that, nature. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, you know, if people want to fix Facebook, I think you can't fix something that's designed to do exactly the thing you don't want to, want to fix out of it. Exactly. It just is. Well, algorithmic bias is, is also present when you define an organization like Girls Who Code, mm-hmm. right? And you set up a room where it's mm-hmm. just girls versus keeping it kids. And let, inside of a room where you define it as kids, mm-hmm. girls are going to form teams. Boys are going to form teams. It's yeah. going to happen. But what's different is they see each other. Yeah. And when the girls succeed and they have a new method, the boys get to see that. New yeah. Method, and they get to see that success. Yeah. Vice versa happens the same way. And, they, and you don't think the influence is there, but it's always present. And it's influencing them in, in unseen ways and in seen ways. Yeah. Right? So I think that we think about algorithms in the code we write, but we don't oftentimes think about them in the physical world we create and how we're parsing people in different ways. And when you challenge people to start assessing how you're creating algorithmic bias in the organization of a classroom or in the organization of a community group or in the organization of analytics inside of a platform, it all binds together. We're starting to to realize that, you know, we're missing a story when we Mm -hmm. parse it by those definitions. And so let's, let's try to create a more healthy context for how we're evaluating the learner. Because in our platform, it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, a student, a boy, a girl. When we look at it, you are all equal. Our mentors will check all your work. Whether you're a teacher or a student, we're treating you the exact same way. If you're a beginner and you're 50, you're going to get the same feedback as if you're a beginner and you're 5. And so, you know, we want to teach every kid 5 to 105 how to to code. I I didn't see any gender consciousness in the... the uh, mentors room at all. I mean, there's probably no way to have it, I suppose. It's, and you know, and what you're going to see, there's still, it's it's a preponderance of boys. In, right. In I mean, I noticed that there, there were some groups, that, some school districts that were all boys or close, 
And there were some that had a lot more girls. Yep. Is, what is that pattern? Is that just random or is that... Well, I think sometimes what you see is it. it's when did the school district start coding with the kids? Uh-huh. If you start really young, the girls don't have any differentiation. They're, yeah. yes, I'm going to. It doesn't matter that the boys are doing or not. They're not really separating themselves out yeah. at that point. But a lot of schools are kind of deciding, well, we shouldn't probably teach coding or computer science until high school. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we shouldn't teach it until eighth grade or seventh grade. But at that point, we know that kids are going through these massive changes, and they are already separating themselves out, and they're looking at themselves differently, and girls start to become very self-conscious and focused on the wrong things outside of themselves and start to have that self-doubt. So I think that that's part of it. Some schools had it from, like you see with Mineola, they had a good amount of girls on their team. Right. Well, everybody here is doing it. It's not something that's yeah. selected. Like you just go and do and that the club. Sayasa, they, won. they had a bunch of girls on there. Yep. Yeah. Now, are they They're a, more... a very big uh, supporter of pushing lots of STEM and science programs to all and yeah. being very supportive and creating girls' um, empowerment movements. Yeah, so, so I, was, I was wondering about that. Is that and and yeah. they've been added longer, too, I imagine. Is that the case? No. No, they just, no. It's just that's where they're coming from in their approach. Yeah. All my CS teachers are female. Really? Not purposeful. It's just the way it happened, yeah. <laughs> the way it happened mm-hmm. to fall out. That's what I say when people are saying, where are all the women in CS? I said, look in some of these schools right here on this island. Because yeah. those are all women, and they are learning CS, and then they are teaching it. Yeah. And that's really important in modeling it. You know, Half our company is female. Yeah. And yeah. if I want reliable results, I go there first. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I tell, I tell it to my developers. Like, I'll ask you second. The only quotable thing I think that Hillary Clinton ever said was, if you want something said, get a man. If you want something done, get a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) I think the stress, the the big stressor point there is you have to, the equity side is every kid has to get it. Yeah. You cannot expect gender, race, or you can't expect anything to happen if you target that one group. Yeah. To scale, you have to do it for everyone. Yeah. yeah. And you'll see what comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of the teams did the, replicated the Code Conquest to, to create the team. So yeah. it was all yeah. blind. It was all blind on, on who was going to win that or get qualified for Yeah, that. we distributed yeah. practice maps to every school so they could run their own micro hackathon yeah. to get their qual- – because some schools had 60 kids trying to get up to that eight kid slots on the team so they ran a yeah. kind of pre-competitive competition to refine down to to eight so so something and i'm wondering if, if if you lose or gain it's probably not it's probably not answerable but i'm thinking uh as part of that competition but the, the point where i want to go toward is that an interesting thing about computer science and especially your approach to it but basically about coding in general is that there's, there's no one right way. There's no one right outcome, right? It's all creative. Yeah. yeah. It's all creative. Yeah. You, you're, you're making something, right? But it's not like you're making something that's cookie cutter. You're using a way to cut cookies, say, with Scratch, but you're not, that is not the cookie cutter. That's, that's the way the chef works, right? Yep. And you make your own recipe, and you can refine it, you can change it. And that strikes me as like, it, it, one of the most human things about us is that we're all different. We all, we all look different and sound different for a reason. We can tell each other apart, but also we are, we are different souls. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that the industrial age kind of diminished in us, right? Um, but at the same time, what we have now, and it's not the same time, but what we have now with computer science, computing in general, and with, with writing code is the, is the ability to fully differentiate ourselves. And I think that's an aspect of where you're going with, at with everybody has to participate yeah. in this. Because it's because you're all different that you all have to be in on this. Yep. It, it, you, this, is not, this is not the old curricular thing where everybody is going to learn the times tables. It's more like you're all going to apply math in your own way. I don't know what it's going to be, but by knowing it, you're going to be able to do different things with it. Yeah, that's a hard thing for for some schools and for some teachers to bite into. Yeah. You know, they want there to they want 
it to be that there's one right answer and it yeah. either is or it isn't. And that's a, you know, that can be really discouraging to a young learner too, because we shouldn't yeah. be trying to give, everybody should code this solution this way, you know, and if you have auto correctors and auto graders that are the ones determining if the project worked or it didn't, then that's essentially what you're doing. There's only one right way and it yeah. can really disable the learning process rather than enable the learning process. Because if you're just giving them a window to shoot at and you're saying, we want to do this and your project should be able to do these various things, we'll see so many different ways that that project is being solved. Yeah, right. And so what you never imagined right yeah. at a time. Signals and of brilliance versus signals of conformity. Right? Yeah. The autograder conforms. Everybody conforms. In our method, there is and, no pre-expected result. And, and I saw with your... Your mentors, you were looking for that, right? You were looking for the flashes of brilliance, the flashes of insight and creativity, rather than they just obeyed the rules. And, and Yeah, I mean, in some cases, there were instances where kids would create very similar projects, and you had to get down to the nitty-gritty of like, well, this person created 65 frames, and this person created 64. It's like yeah. the same animation. <laughs> but some of them were, you know, really cool, how, like, kids would create something from their favorite anime or show for mm -hmm. in terms of the art stuff and it's it's very cool to see you know grading kids and when they come up with amazing projects in fact a kid actually came up with a web vr project that used an api to listen to what the user would speak and display it in 3d text that the user could walk around wow that was this morning yeah that was actually developed within the time constraint too so. wow wow was that uh i'm actually not sure i, I didn't wow. know who it was from, yeah, and you don't know who did it yeah, I, I, I don't know who did it, but it was very Again, impressive. They all had aliases. They were all had. A, oh, they didn't have to be their real name. Basically, you're looking at is attacking, defending, not who's doing it, but rather which is which of the two wins. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've got layers of of defining yourself here. So they have an alias in the community in a school community. They use a real name. Yeah. And then when they come into an app like this, they change their alias again. So now it's just at the game layer. They can be anything they want to be. Yeah. Represent themselves however they want to. But with that WebVR project, that's I don't. Even, we haven't even taught that to middle schools. I just dropped that in as one of the most advanced territories to say, all right, well, I know you're going to have some young kids in these teams that have more skills than their schools know. Yeah. Here's your opportunity yeah. to show. Yeah. Right? yeah. So let's drop there and let's see who's going to grab it. Yeah. They grab it. So I think the other the other piece that I, I don't want to gloss over are the learning paths because schools tend to be very structured. You have to complete level one before you get to level two, before you start this language. And the learning paths allow kids to jump in and out of different languages at different times, mm -hmm. independently or structured in school. And then if they get a spark with that content, they can follow it through to a mastery badge. Yeah, yeah. So some kids, when I look at the analytics, I have some kids started one project in 16 learning paths. Mm -hmm. And then others that are very linear and they're going to start one and finish it to the end before they start another one. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You can do whatever you like. Yeah. And my son just grabbed me the other day that he's working on an OYO badge. He's doing the assessment. I didn't even know you even learning. created that yeah. one. Uh, but created yeah. what? It's a, he's working. We have a more aggressive assessment learning path that was aimed at some of the kids that had been with me for a while. And it kind of was just, I think it's 12 different assessment challenges that... In multiple languages, in multiple though. languages, then you know, it's, there's a lot of challenging ones in there. But I don't expect them to get it right the first time. Yeah. So he was jumping in. So and he walked away from his badges for a little while. He got sidetracked on something else, um, and now you sparked his interest again, where he grabs his computer and shows me, "Well, this is what I'm working on now." I said, "Where did this come from?" And how did? It, because he has a hundred something badges, the old way. Now there's yeah. a new learning path that sparked his interest again. Yeah. And I yeah. just smiled and said, here we go. You know, he, yeah. Now he's back in it. So yeah. it's yeah. it's it lends itself to that kind of fluidity for kids that yeah. you can visit sometimes, walk away, come back. I have a new entry point. I always have a new entry point, mm -hmm. no matter how smart I think I am. Yeah. Um, so I, I just love that about the I think it's because he's working in AP computer principles now as a 12 year old and he's winding that down because the test will be next month and you know that'll close and now he's back on to OYO with other stuff yeah yeah 
Oh, and he's got 3D Fun. printers, and he works with Arduino, and he's defining his own projects and hanging his own portfolios. And it's, it's you know, he can jump hey, from he's Java. Own, right? He's got a very entrepreneurial thing. mindset. Yeah. His oh, school does. doesn't yeah. have it. His school doesn't have it, but he does, and that's good enough for him, right? Yes, yes. yes. Well, it's just great that that's available to him, right? I mean, if you guys weren't around, he'd just be banging his head against the wall, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As would most of our kids. I've got kids right now that are graduating early because they can't get anything in their school they want. Their schools won't fund their robotics team. I had a kid who got a four on the AP test when he was an eighth grade volunteer to teach in a club. The school said no. Right now, wow. what, whatever the reasoning is there, you've got these scenarios where these kids are just, I'll teach it. I'll do it. They're going out and privately fundraising for the robotics team. They're desperate to find a way to show this skill and to show this interest that they have. And they just, they're running into the same things we as adults run into. No's, right? Mm-hmm. Bureaucracy saying that's not going to be allowed or it's too risky or whatever. You know, but they're seeing it as 10th graders and 11th graders, and they're making decisions. And so in this one student's case, he decided, I'm going to leave high school early. I want to go to Stony Brook University. I've been going, coming here since I was 11. I want to go there, and I want to be a mentor. And I want to be a kiddo mentor, and I'm going to put myself through college being a kiddo mentor. And so here we've got this scenario where I sit down with the dean of the college, 80% of the funds that support the university come from master's level, PhD level, international students. Uh-huh. Oh, I've got really? a local yeah. kid sitting on 80%. the waiting list. He took the AP test when he was in ninth grade. He's a fan. He got a, he got a 1450 on his SATs. SATs. He's ready to go. And he's he's, he's on the waiting there. list. Yeah, he's on the waiting so, list. So, you know, I personally, like, that's one of my battles I do battle with is, yeah. you know, we need our, our universities to step up their game. We need them to understand that with this in place in our K-12 schools, you said you wanted a higher quality student yeah. delivered. Mm-hmm. Where's the higher quality progressions, right? We can't wait till we're in the master's degree path to get the meaningful education. We need it down in our, in our bachelor's studies. We yeah. need practical learning. We need self-led learning opportunities that isn't just tied to the curriculum and to my GPA, but it gives me an opportunity to express this with my peers on campus in the same way we're doing here in our schools, yeah. sharing knowledge. And it's that community context that I think is so often missing yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It's what gives Linux its own special flavor. When I walk in Manila's hallways, I've said it from the year I got here, there's something different here, and it's the focus on community. Yeah. In our platform, I'm always trying to figure out, like, what's the special sauce of a highly functional community? Because we're building community huh. support tools. Yeah. So, you know, can you emulate those best qualities in a digital realm yeah. and empower the good stuff and let the bad stuff get confronted as a learning? Mm-hmm. You know, we get, you'll get a lot of snark. You'll get a lot of kids just kind of maybe digital bullying where they don't know they're bullying somebody. And especially when people are doing creative work, it's so easy to sidetrack someone's confidence. You know, it's, it's hard. It's courageous to do something creative. So letting kids see that and then having failure happen where everyone gets to see it, it's not a, you're not being penalized, but we're all going to learn from this. Yeah. You know, we're going to learn from the exposed failure that's happening present and hopefully improve the quality of communication that's happening in that community as well. So that's definitely working. It just takes time and it takes schools of time to kind of see their communities through that lens too. Yeah, and the idea of the community is interesting, too, because coding has often been very isolated. And for young kids, that's not a good thing. You know, you want them to learn how to interact with each other. But one of the biggest fears that gets brought to me when I'm out working with schools who are considering bringing in our program is they have a fear of kids having a public forum Mm -hmm. to be able to speak. And what happens if they say something they shouldn't? Well, it's nothing's permanent. They can delete their own comments. We can delete it. If you delete something from the wall, the software is programmed to come up and, and have you tell, explain to the user why they're being deleted. What mm-hmm. What is making this comment inappropriate for this space? And where else is that happening, that these young yeah. kids are getting a digital education about how to be considerate? Be literate. Be digital citizens. Di- where, yeah. How do you get taught? How do you how get it? If you're not going to let them make the mistake in a safe space. Yeah. You know, I mean, who's going to define it? Yeah. Right? Exactly. Because that's, I, I mean, I, I really think being a digital citizen, what that means, and I think anybody can project something on that and have 10 different results for 10 different people. But I think these kids are going to decide what that is. And I, I have a much more faith that they'll do it well than their elders will. It's, it's amazing to watch. I, I go on Twitter and get in conversations with people, and based on the responses, they get very aggressive, and you almost have to 
deliberately pay attention to respecting people before right. you comment deeper into a thread. Whereas, you know, in our communities, you, you're starting to see where we might start dysfunctionally in a couple communities. And I might have to talk about character when no one's looking at you. What are you doing? Right? But it quickly evolves. The kids yeah, pick up this quickly. message. They love it. There, there are yeah. kids that want leadership and they want to be protected by leadership. Right. Yeah. So I think getting, you can't just avoid it and expect that, you know, you're going to see that leadership emerge. You got to create an opportunity for it to emerge. Yeah. And I think you see it here. You see, like Dr. Lincoln said, he's got a team around him. His, his district is fully invested. They're president at everything. You know, and you saw them here today. There were so many of oh yeah, I know your different your, buildings. Your team is out and and clearly grooving on it. I mean, really grooving on it. That's good. Everybody was. Yeah, I mean, they all show the up. The they I show up. Hardly tell who was, you know, a pro and who was, you know, whatever. But they, everybody seemed to be really digging it. So we're at about an hour now. So I think this is a good point to wrap. But we'll, you know, we'll do some more. Yeah, we'll do cool. some more. This is fantastic. sounds great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, thanks thank for you. coming. Yeah, thank you guys. Okay.